You're driving the golf cart today. Driving the golf cart. (laughs) Welcome to History of the Sports Bra. Hello, hello. Welcome to History of the Sports Bra. I'm one of your hosts, Julia Hostetter. And I'm your other host, Sophie Segretti. And again, I'm going to give a little break to our lovely co-host, Sophie. And now we're going to talk about golf, which is the other sport that I love and play in addition to tennis. Again, the country club athlete right here. Um, (laughs) Before we get into it, let's share our favorite women's sports update of the week. So my sports update is that Kim Ng was announced as GM of the Miami Marlins. And this is the first female GM in any major North American men's professional sports league ever. So Ink broke just shattering the barrier, shattering the glass ceiling. What's interesting though, is that it has been 15 years since she first interviewed for a GM position in major league baseball. When she interviewed with the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2005, and she has been qualified for every single one of those 15 years until this point. She started as an intern with the Chicago Wag red. Oh my God. With the Chicago White Sox at age 21, worked her way up to a job in the American League's director of waivers and records, and then at 29 became the youngest assistant GM in Major League Baseball, working for Brian Cashman and the New York Yankees. She then joined the Dodgers as VP and assistant GM in 2001, and then left to serve as senior VP of baseball operations for MLB in 2011. And before being named for GM for the Marlins, she had interviewed and been passed over for five other open GM positions. And the reason why I like kind of did her little resume there is just she is clearly so qualified and has been so qualified to be GM for a while now. And it's a little bit of a shame that it's it's a lot of bit of a shame that it's taken this long for her to be general manager. But It is so exciting to not only have the first female GM, but she's also Asian American and just shattering. Yeah. Shattering the glass ceiling and inspiring people right, left and center. You know, the first step in a long journey, hopefully of Mm -hmm. your gender or your race or whatever, not playing a part like or overshadowing how qualified you are. Cause we've Mm -hmm. had this conversation about many other things. I would say too about how yep. these people are qualified but are simply pass over because of who they are, you know? Mm-hmm. So frustrating. But yeah. it is really exciting. And I think Derek Jeters and Kim, they're gonna take the Miami Marlins to, to greater heights. So we'll be looking forward to that. And I'm officially a Mar- uh, Miami Marlins fan now. Who would have thought? I'm like, okay, I'm on board. Yeah, I was looking at gear and it's honestly it's a great they have great colors. Yeah, I don't have any <laughs> ties to Miami at all i think i've only ever been to the airport but you know let's go i'm like a fair weather fan but not for like when teams are good but for when they employ women (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly we're we're all gonna jump on that train yeah and then my kind of women's sports update of the week is just something that i got really fired up about and a lot of people got fired up about on twitter so the there's two different things about like tone deaf media so the athletic release a bracket for the greatest sports moment of the year for 2020. Obviously, it's been like a completely messed up year. But they out of the 16 total quote-unquote moments, they only had two two moments surrounding or involving women. Kim Ng, like we just said, about um, becoming the first female GM of a major sports team, which is amazing. 
And then Osaka at the U.S. Open, just kind of her dominance and also her social justice initiatives. But it just sucks because, you know, we could have talked about the wobble and their stance on social Mm -hmm. justice. Like I discussed um, on the softball podcast, we could have had the first female coach in the Super Bowl. I understand it was February and it was right at the beginning, but that was awesome. And they had that whole commercial about it. It was still 2020. We could have had the Houston Dash, kind of the surprise upset mm-hmm. winning the NWSL Cup. And like some of the other ones that they could have taken out, they did the the pitcher Kelly of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He did like a pouty face that became a meme. I'm like, it, it, I mean, it's a sports what? moment, but to say it's the greatest sports moment of the year of the is year. kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so whatever. And then sure. to follow it up, Sports Illustrated, the team of the year, they only nominated the four like major men's sports, NBA, uh, NFL, MLB, and NHL teams. And then they even chose the Milwaukee Bucks that didn't even win like the championship. Like I get what? it that, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo is amazing. I love that guy. Totally understand. But it's just frustrating because Seattle Storm with um yep. Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird, I mean, they just dominated and they broke yeah. so many records in the mm-hmm. finals and throughout the playoffs and uh, or the Houston Dash like I just said who yeah. you know won the NWL and was not expected to do that so whatever I was just you know irritated uh. like how are people supposed to even know about the Houston Dash if you don't know like if the athletic posts mm-hmm. about the Houston Dash people will go read up on who like sure some yep. of the comments are going to be misogynistic but at least people are looking at it so everybody knows people love to do these like lists summarizing the year top 10 movies, top 10 books, mm-hmm. top 10 memes, blah, blah, blah. The number of things that I learn about and get exposure to from those lists. It's important ugh, because people look at important. those things because people love to talk about yeah. it. You know, they like to reflect mm-hmm. on the year come year end. It's just like our nature yeah. or whatever. So it's just, it's an injustice yeah. to women's sports a little bit. Yeah. Especially my impression is that in 2020, because of how COVID worked out, there was kind of equivalent men and women's. Whereas like pre-COVID, the NFL season is so long. Right. Hockey. So, you know, like, yeah. whereas the shortened NBA and the Wubble and then the NWSL Cup this summer, more people watching women's sports than ever before. Exactly. It was televised more than ever before. Like, yeah. this was the time to put it on that list because this year it actually might have had definitely not equal exposure to men's sports, but far more. Oh, yeah. Viewership was up for women's sports. Viewership was up for women's sports and down for men's sports. And so it would make sense for these teams, like logically, to be put on these end of year lists because so many more people watched it. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's get right into it. Golf. Golf. I love golf. I encourage everybody to take up golf. It is a sport that anybody can learn at any time in their life, and it is a lifelong sport. And it can be fun. It's, I understand how boring it can <laughs> it be to can watch be it, fun. but it is so much fun. It's so fresh. It's challenging mentally. You grab a couple beers, cool yourself off, continue on. It's a good little – it can be two hours if you play nine holes, four hours if you play 18. It's a cool social activity. Definitely recommend it. But this will be the history of golf. So the origin story just totally perpetuates golf stereotypes that it is elitist. So Mary, Queen of Scots, we're starting off with her, 
She mm-hmm. widely she's widely believed to have been the first woman to play golf in around like the 1540s when she was ruling. Oh, when she was ruling Scotland, the St Andrews Links golf course was built, which is one of the most beautiful courses in the entire world. And she's also credited with the term caddy, which is what you refer to kind of like that guy that carries the clubs next to you, caddy. Mm-hmm. It derived from cadet, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she she used it when referring to her assistant, so that's where it comes from. The first recorded golf tournament for women was on January 9th, 1811 in Scotland. So the local fishermen's wives partook in the event on the Musselburgh Golf Club 18-hole pitch and putt course. Uh, the winner received a creel and shawl, while the runner-up received two handkerchiefs from, Bar- from Barcelona. So I want to start a petition, and I hope all of you guys will go sign it, that there's always like some random-ass prize that the winner <laughs> of you know the Super Bowl the NWSL Cub, the WNBA will get like just random, like whatever you what can think of. What is a creel? I have no idea. I didn't even look it up. I figured it was some like kind of like garment or accessory. A wicker? Oh my God. It's a wicker basket for carrying fish. Oh, well, that makes sense. Fishermen. Yeah, that makes sense. But fishermen's wives, I guess. Yeah. And a shawl. To carry fish in a wicker basket sounds gross, but anywho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds smelly to me, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, a lot of a lot of holes, a lot of smells permeating the air. Yeah, for sure. And then in 1867, the first women's uh golf club was born as the Ladies Club of St. Andrews. So it was only 24 years after the official St. Andrews Golf Club was formally formed. It gained 500 members in its first 20 years, which you have to understand like it's it's meant to be exclusive, right? This elitist mm-hmm. kind of origin story, but still to have 500 people even inter- like 500 women even interested in joining the club wow. is is pretty amazing, and it's expensive as, as hell. So there you go. Uh, and then the next year in 1868, a specially built 18 hole ladies course was designed and built at Westward Ho in Southeast England. So I can imagine in my head when you. If you guys don't know, when you go golfing, there are different tee boxes. So it creates the hole or it lets the hole be different yardages. So the black tees are like where the pros play off of. And that could be probably like 100 yards behind women's tees. Mm. So that's kind of where they probably had to build like a whole new course because they just never even designed courses for women to be included on. Mm -hmm. So this allowed women to play. Let me reverse. My mom came yes. in. Okay. So for, for the U.S. in 1891, Shinnecock Hills Golf Club in Southampton, New York, was the first women's golf club. It allowed women to play, which was kind of a shocker. Like the, the club allowed women to play. Mm-hmm. And after growing popularity, they built a nine-hole course specifically for women. And the first women's uh, U.S. amateur was held at Meadow Brook Club in New York in 1895. And that was won by Lucy Barnes-Brown. So, again, in the 1800s, women are included. It's not that they are included. Mm-hmm. They still haven't done the combined golf course thing. They have to build, I guess, golf courses <laughs> specifically for women, whatever. So, at the turn of the century in the 1900s, there's just a growing acceptance of women in golf. Isette Miller, who we're going to dub Bay, uh, mm-hmm. was a leading female golfer at the time. She actually invented the handicap system, which is really cool. Wow. 
That's crazy that the handicap system was invented. I mean, this sounds terrible to say that was invented by women just because back in the, the early, early 1900s, 1900s, yeah, women weren't really allowed to be inventing stuff. Yeah, yeah, they, were, <laughs> they just simply weren't allowed. No, and I think it's just interesting too because it it helps level the playing field. It basically gives you kind of like a score that you shoot on average. So mm-hmm. that you, when you go and play, you can play against other people. It's like skill-based matchmaking. You can go against other people who are similar level um, as you. And I don't know why mm-hmm. and no one came up with it before then. But um, it's this whole like mathematical really kind of intense uh, system. But she was the first mm-hmm. person to invent it. Really cool. In 1932, the inaugural Curtis Cup match was played in England for amateur women golfers. So the Curtis Cup is uh, a tournament played between a team representing the United States and a team representing England and Ireland. It's held every two years. Americans won the first one. Woo-woo. Um, woo-woo. And <laughs> the United States have won 29, while England and Ireland have won eight in their Dang. three times. So it's a little bit one-sided. I'm not trying to hate on England and Ireland, but we got the golfers talent, here. Yeah. Talent can't be denied. Exactly. And then, just two short years later, the first woman uh, professional golfer, Helen Hicks, she ended up signing with Wilson Western Sporting Goods, which is just like Wilson. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the first women to even sign with a sporting goods company. Wow. I just feel like in 1930, how many athletes were even signing with companies? You know, mm-hmm. especially co- like a company as big as Wilson. Yeah. So it's really cool that Helen Hicks got to do that. Yeah. She won uh, tournaments in 1937 and 1940 that ended up becoming LPGA Tour majors. So she's she's a very good player early on. As a note, it came out after we recorded this episode that Babe Zaharis, the golfer we're going to talk about next, was anti-Semitic and racist. So we are going to breeze through her accomplishments and not glorify her as she was not a good person. Another woman that we got a shout out is Babe Zaharias. She's a former Olympian and at this time a future golf pro. So in 1938, she competed in the Los Angeles Open, which was a PGA event after being denied amateur status in golf. So she went up and played against men. It's the first attempt to play in a men's tournament, and it wouldn't even be done by anyone else for another six years. Her her love story, she was paired with George Zaharias, which would end up becoming her husband. Babe, in 1945, she competed in three more PGA Tour events. Uh, she made the first cut in all three, becoming the first and only woman to make the cut in a PGA tournament. You have to play from their tees. And I don't mean to like say, I, don't, I hope that this isn't like offensive, but women oh, no. just usually can't hit the ball as far yeah. as men, especially with whatever technology they were using back in mm-hmm. 1938. Yeah. Testosterone, man. Yeah. I mean, we they got it. testosterone. It is what it is. <laughs> but it's, it's great that, you know, it, golf it isn't all about distance. You know, you can be kind of cheeky. Mm-hmm. And as long as you hit the ball long or straight, you know, or you, you hit yeah. it where you're aiming, you can be good. So, so in those three PGA Tour events, made the first cut, 
She even finished 33rd at the Phoenix Open and 42nd at the Tucson Open. Um, and she has a record for the 14 straight amateur wins after she became a women's amateur. And then last but not least for this kind of early 1900s period pre-LPGA, mm-hmm. we got to talk about Patty Berg. She is the first female golfer to have her own line of clubs produced by Wilson. So golfers, you know, athletes, they'll have like signature shoes mm-hmm. or whatever. So again, really, it just seems like so early, but... Damn, yeah. Patty, she got her own clubs. And, she, you know, you could go find them in your local sporting goods store, which is really cool. Um, yeah, because that's still like the 40s. I know, the 40s. And she had her own line of clubs. So I feel like golf has done a fairly good job of including women. I mean, like, it sucks because the bar is set so low with this sort of so thing. So low. So low. But um, we got to, you know, at least appreciate whatever accomplishments occur. I wonder, I wonder if part of it is because golf is less of like a rough and tumble sport than like, say, basketball. And so I'd agree with that. Like there wasn't probably it's it's just you and a stationary ball. Mm-hmm. Like it just it didn't go against, especially you know since Mary Queen of Scots was doing it, like it didn't go against the view of like the Victorian woman or like mm-hmm. whatever to be a golfer. Exactly, you could still maintain you know the like quote lady like lady likeness. I think it also mm-hmm. like I don't know if I was a dude in the 1940s, it would be fun to go play with your wife or your yeah. girlfriend and play golf too. So you know that could play a factor in it as well. Mm-hmm. Patty was also the very, very first U.S. Women's Open champion in 1946. She was the first one to win that tournament, um, which would become a major as well. So now, kind of like mid-20th century, we're starting to get kind of like those associations or uh, groups to, to conglomerate and form like a professional league. So LPGA is like the current really well-established golf association, but the Women's Pro Golf Association, which preceded it, kind of laid it laid the groundwork. So in 1944, three women, I'm going to butcher her last name, so I'm just going to call her <laughs> Hope S. So sorry. Betty Hicks and Ellen Griffin, they founded it. They even had some financial assistance from Wilson, so it seems like Wilson's, they didn't give well, a shit, yeah. and they were just like, let's support everything. <laughs> um, yeah, go Wilson. Yeah, I know. Go Wilson. I use a Wilson tennis racket, so... There you go. I'm doing my support. Maybe I'll get some Wilson clubs. We'll get some Wilson clubs. Hell yeah. I support that. I'll help. You know, we'll we'll set up a GoFundMe. I'm just saying, yeah, I don't know how to play. Clubs. I don't know how to I will play. Teach you. <laughs> I will come to wherever you are and I will teach you. I'm a fairly good teacher, I like to think. I think you would be a great teacher. You seem like you would be nice and not evil. Yeah, I'm not like, I don't, you know, if you don't hit the ball, if you like chunk it and you miss the ball, I'd be like, you know what? There's a great swing. I do I do actually really want to learn to play golf for two reasons one for it's an old people sport and I'm getting up there yeah and oh yeah right she's like (laughs) 26 probably yeah okay yeah yeah but you know like longevity and then two is because I was reading something that was saying even though the stereotype of business and golf has faded some, you know, women would still be invited to golf events. But it's the fact that, you know, if your company has a golf event and sure, they're going to invite everyone. But if you're not actually playing, you're still missing out on like opportunity. precious 
opportunities. And even yeah. like dumb, dumb things like, you know, like if that's how your boss wants to unwind, if you can be like, hey, like I'm around. Exactly. Right now that door is fully shut to me. I would not know what to do. I would cause a scene. So I need Capable. to just become... The other thing, too, that I think can be intimidating for new players is that they think that the people who have been playing for the for a while are, like, quote-unquote good at it. Yeah. We are not good at it. I mean, nobody who plays <laughs> golf consistently is really that good besides scratch golfers, which are rare, and pros. Mm-hmm. So I can guarantee you your boss will go out and hit over a hundred probably because he's got all the confidence in the world and goes from like the back tees, loses a ball every three shots, mm-hmm. you know, because, because men just tend to have more confidence in that sort of thing. And they don't mm-hmm. like think about it as embarrassing. Whereas I feel like women tend totally. to find it embarrassing if they can't yeah. hit it perfect every single time because of like the standards that we set for ourselves. When yeah. in reality, like it's no big deal if you swing and miss once or twice or you don't hit a great shot every single time. Mm-hmm. I never hit a great shot every single time, but you'll be okay. And neither will your boss. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you. Well, we found that too with like with club tennis, we would have way fewer women try out for tennis than men. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, we would go to the men's tryouts and 90% of them would be ass. No offense. Yeah. You know, but they no, just yeah. like have that confidence to put their name down and go try out, even though that they've played tennis, mm-hmm. what, three times in their life or whatever. And they're not going to make like the quote unquote cut. It's even the same with my company's joke softball, not joke, but you know, like the social softball league, the only women who would go for the most part were literally college, like played in college. Yeah. Most of the team was men. I think Two of them played in college. Two percent of the guys who showed up to our company softball games played in college, whereas a hundred percent of the girls, except for me, <laughs> played in college. And it's just it's just such an interesting division because there were definitely there are so many girls who played softball growing up who would have been great. And yeah, we just had been totally great. Yeah. I don't know. There's definitely some statistic about how like women only apply to jobs where they meet a hundred percent of the qualifications, qualifications and men apply when they have like 60%. Yeah. I could tell, I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. Exactly. Yeah. I'm unqualified for golf. And so I haven't tried, but. Yes, sorry. Tangent, bringing it back. The WPGA, which was formed in 1944, actually folded in 1949. But fear not, because in 1950, the LPGA was formed by uh, 13 prominent female golfers at the time. I'm going to list them out because they they deserve their recognition. We got Mm -hmm. Alice Bauer, Patty Berg, which we already talked about, our girl, Betty Danoff, Helen Detweiler, Marlene Hag, Helen Hicks, another champ, Opal yep. Hill, Betty Jameson, Sally Sessions, I'm going to put Markton Smith, Shirley Spork, Louise Suggs, and last but not least, Babe Zaharias. Uh, and Patty Berg was, was named president. So in this first season, the inaugural season, they held 14 tournaments with $50,000 in total prize funds. And the LPGA was actually the oldest women's professional sports league in the U.S. So last week we talked about how softball was the first team professional sport for league for women. 
And so the LPGA is actually just the first professional sport league for women because golf, of course, is a individual sport. Right. Which is, I mean, just it's a cool fact. It's a cool fact about golf and it it points to um, inclusion and success for women in the sport. Mm-hmm. Two years later, in 1952, they expanded from 14 events to 21 events. And they established the uh, Vare Trophy to award to the player with the lowest scoring average at the end of the season. So take all the scores from all the rounds, mm-hmm. add them up, divide by the number, and that's who got the award. And the, the name for uh, the Vare Trophy comes from Glenna Colette Vare, who was a phenomenal amateur golfer in the 20s and 30s. So to pay homage to her, which is cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then in 1959, they formed a teaching division to try to, to bring the game to more and more people, whether that be youth, really all age groups. Just to, It's easier to pick up golf or to be more motivated to try to golf if you have someone like you coaching you. I think that that rings true. Mm-hmm. So to have women teachers and women coaches of the sport to coach other women because they understand more. They just understand your body mechanics. They understand, mm-hmm. you know, the the feelings of failure when you when you don't do well, and the feelings of success when you do well. So that's kind of a very visionary thing to expand the women's golf. And then come the sixties, kind of the defining thing of the sixties was national coverage. Mickey Wright and Kathy Whitworth were two women that completely dominated, and they helped spark popularity of women's golf via a televised match. Um, and we've kind of seen this before, you know, with tennis, uh-huh. the, the Billie Jean King, um, battle, of the sexes. battle of the sexes. So very similar thing went down for golf in the sixties. They played against Arnold Palmer and Dow Finsterwald, who are both PGA professionals. And again, they just, it's amazing that Mickey and Kathy won because I know that at the time, nobody thought that they would win. So they ended up being Arnold Palmer, who is arguably one of the greatest golfers ever, yeah. and Dow Fisterwald. Mickey would go on to win 68 LPGA events in the 60s. Oh, my and she gosh. Had, like, only in the 60s. <laughs> Crazy. And she's got Whoa. a career 82 LPGA Tour wins. And then, like I said, domination. Kathy mm-hmm. passed Mickey in Tour victories in 1985. She ended up winning 88 total LPGA tournaments. She was also the first to reach a million in career earnings in 1981, a million dollars in career earnings in 1981, and 88 wins is the most ever, male or female. Wow. Yeah, and I don't think Tiger Woods will pass it. Maybe he will, but I don't think so. So that record could stand for a very, very long time. What What's like Tiger Woods at? Like, what's the next Off the top, level? I, think he, I think he might be in the 80s, but I don't know. Let me see. Let's 82. See 82. 82. So that's first all time with Sam Snead. And, you know, say what you will about Tiger. I hope he does well. I personally don't have a, a vendetta against him. But last weekend he played with his son and it was like the cutest shit ever. And it reminded me of Serena playing with her daughter, you know, like tennis. And it was just adorable. Aww. His son is much older, probably like 12 or 13 compared to Serena's daughter. Olympia. But yeah, Olympia. But really cute. Love it. Love to see it. So after the televised match 1963 was the first nationally televised lpga event uh with the final of the u.s women's open uh the final round of that being shown so what tennis and what golf need just more mm-hmm. tv coverage right i mean yeah. if we can just yeah. get the word out there here we go 
1960, I just want to highlight our queen, Althea Gibson. Again, she was featured in the tennis mm-hmm. episode. 1964, she became the first black woman to join the LPGA. Racial discrimination was obviously rampant. Um, she was often barred from playing in tournaments held at Southern country clubs and even some in the North as well. But despite that, she's still the top one of the top 50 money winners for uh, five years in the 60s. And she made her financial ends meet with with sponsors for the most part because yeah. women didn't get paid enough to really make mm-hmm. you know make a living playing it. But just wanted to plug in our our you know our queen Althea Gibson. Mm-hmm. We thought the crown was about Althea Gibson. Turns out it's not. Yeah, I would have thought. <laughs> <laughs> in 1967, the LPGA Hall of Fame was uh, formed in Augusta, Georgia. With the inaugural me- members of Betty Jameson, Louise Suggs, Patty Berg, and Babe Zaharias, which they all obviously completely deserve. Uh, this, the LBG- LPGA Hall of Fame would eventually merge with the World Golf Hall of Fame in 1998. So they just combined the two. And then at the end of the 60s, the prize money grew to $600,000 with a total oh, of 34 events. So it, again, it just keep on building on itself, mm-hmm. right? And with with TV coverage, with Mickey and Kathy beating Arnold and Dow, stuff like that just exploded the sport. In the 70s, they're trying to kind of further establish their brand. So Joanne Carner, she won the U.S. Girls Junior, the U.S. Women's Amateur, and the U.S. Women's Open Championship. And she's the first golfer ever to win these three events, which is really cool to do it at every single level. every step of the way and to never fall off such consistency it's consistency again that sort of ice in your veins type of deal yep in 1972 the there was a a tournament lpga tournament with a six-figure prize money of hundred and ten thousand dollars. that was the first time that it went over six to six figures and then the first commissioner of the lpga was hired in 1975 ray volpe and he moved the headquarters to new york established a board and selected a player council so kind of, uh, you know, really firmly establishing that this LPGA tour is never going to go away type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by 1979, so 1969, $600,000 was the total prize of money. 1979, it was $4.4 million. Damn. So, again, Damn. exploding, 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 and we mm-hmm. love to see it. The 80s and 90s, kind of, this is where they started, I would say, expanding. You had mm-hmm. rising stars of Beth Daniel, Betsy King, and Patty Sheehan. And then another, uh, Pat Bradley, she almost won the single season Grand Slam by winning three of the four major championships. So you kind of have like icons, I would say, mm-hmm. in the LPGA. In 1989, they created a program to reach the youth via the Girls Golf Club and Urban Youth Golf Program. And then in 1990... They had a um, Pro-Am Invitational at Pebble Beach, which is the only professional golf tournament with both men and women. That year, Julie Inkster became the first woman woman to win the event. She won by one stroke. Whoa. I know, which is, again, great. I, like, we can, just because there's that distance disadvantage, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that women can't compete with men, especially in golf. This was also the inaugural year of the Solheim Cup, which is Europe against the United States. And mm-hmm. the brother of this cup is called the Ryder Cup. So that, that's what the, the PGA Tour does. Or the, you know, professional, oh, men, okay. professional yeah. golfers yeah. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 1990, Beth Daniel became the first woman to win a million dollars in 12 months. 
So one year she was able to win a million dollars. So now, you know, if you're quote good enough, you can really make, you know, make some, yeah. some good money. Bring in the dough. Yeah, bring in the dough. Become the breadwinner, you know. In 1991, they developed golf ladies' golf programs such as the Executive Women's Golf Association, which promoted golf among working women, which we were discussing, mm-hmm. and then also a Women's Golf Summit, which was held for the first time to discuss participation and outreach. So they're trying to figure out how to reach more people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you play golf, you're you're probably more interested in watching golf on TV and vice versa. 1992, the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation became the first official charity of a golf association. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. It's like amazing how much we learn doing these things. I learned yeah. so much about every single, you know, all, all the, the sports sport. that we've done so far that I was guilty of never really learning about. Mm-hmm. So, and then in 1996, the LPGA secured television broadcasting for 26 of its 38 events. This increased the annual prize money to $25 million. Carrie Webb, a rookie, became the first woman golfer to reach a million dollars like in a like in um an LPGA tournament year, if that makes sense, like just LPGA. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um and not just a 12-month span, but like within the the um calendar Whatever year, I guess I'll say. Yeah. And then Judy Bell, but she became the first woman president of the United States Golf Association. And the USGA it puts on tournaments for kids. It's, it covers both men and women in golf. And it's kind of similar to like the USTA for tennis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So now we are here in the 21st century. Um, and I just kind of want to give some some modern golf stars to cheer for. And then also some statistics about where we are. The medium income for, for women on tour, on the LBGA tour, is $141,000 and about which is great because you can make a living here playing golf Mm -hmm. we've heard of WNBA players really not being able to make a living here so they're forced to go you know to like european or russia or Mm -hmm. china you know but it's great that you can you can make enough money playing professional golf in with Mm -hmm. the lpga in 2021 again like we've been saying it's going to be a great year they're going to set a record 76 million dollars and dollars in official purses for the lpga compare this to around six hundred fifty thousand dollars is what the average men ma- man makes on the pga tour mm-hmm. and the total purse is 340 million dollars so there oh is a God. like gap you know it's about six times yeah. five times more money for the pga than the lpga mm-hmm. there's going to be 34 official events across uh, north america europe and asia and they've had five majors for a while, but the five majors are the ANA Inspiration, U.S. Women's Open, the Women's PGA Championship, the Women's British Open, and the Evian Championship. So those are things to watch out for if you're perusing on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday during the day. Mm-hmm. On Definitely look out for those LPGA tournaments. They're a nice thing to have on in the background, I would say. I don't get, like, you know, super fired up or fully invested, but... <laughs> God, it's it's great to see all these women and their and their success. And they hit, I mean, mm-hmm. just incredible shots, make incredible putts that can be mind blowing at times, which is great. So hopefully twenty twenty one will continue to see that growth. 
as for other kind of random statistics I thought were interesting, the lowest 18 hole score. So 18 holes, usually the par is around 72. So the par mm-hmm. is like average. And that's what, not really, because I shoot like 86, I think on average, my handicap's like, I'm like a bogey golfer. Okay. Um, so I usually shoot like 18 over for the round. So what would that be like a 90? Yeah. That's, that's like what I usually shoot. Mm-hmm. So the lowest 18 hole score was a minus 13 she shot a 59 which if you can even get i think only like a dozen like a handful of people have even gotten in the 50s before so unbelievable these numbers are hard for me to understand because i don't quite quite understand understand. low is good i the negative 13 is a powerful number yes negative 13 (laughs) in one round nothing negative 13 whoa Minus 18 would be like if you birdied every, like if you shot one under par every single hole. Okay. So minus oh, right, 13 right, out yeah. of 18 is pretty like incredible. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing round. Uh, it was shot by Annika Sorenstam in 2001 at Moon Valley Country Club in Phoenix. I'll have to go check it out. We mentioned earlier that Kathy Whitworth has most wins at 88. She also had 13 in one season, which is just crazy. You know, it's just crazy that you can be so consistent. The most majors is owned by Patty Berg. She's had 15 major wins. Dang. That's dominance when it counts. That's only three behind the PGA. Uh, Jack Nicholas has 18, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she she shows the same dominance as Jack Nicholas Mm -hmm. in in the PGA. The youngest major winner ever is Lydia Ko, who we'll get to in a second, in 2015. She was 18 years old. And the youngest tournament winner, so major versus tournament. You know, I talked about the five majors. It was right. kind of like the mm-hmm. blue dogs, and then you got these other tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the young, she's also the youngest tournament winner. She was 15 years old, 15 years, four months, and two days old when she won wow. a professional tournament. Granular. <laughs> I know, which I just couldn't even, like, imagine at that stage. Oh, my gosh. You didn't even drive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Couldn't even drive. She won a freaking <laughs> tournament. It's crazy. So those are just kind of some random stats. Yeah, and I'm realizing now that I should have talked about this earlier, but I have a little interesting delve into, I think Julia brought this up, how there is still a gap between men and women's golf. And so while the median income for female golfers is definitely so much better than other professional female athletes, like softball, they're making like 5K, mm-hmm. there is still a lot of rampant sexism and discriminatory pay in golf between men and women. So last year at this Aeon Risk Award Challenge, it was the first time there was actually equal prize money for the men and women. And it was a mill to each winner, which again, that seems like a lot of money. But interestingly, the tour has started to go backwards in terms of the total purse. So in 2008, total prize money for women was over 60 million. But in 2009, it fell to 47 million. And in 2010, it was 41 million. I know, I think you were saying that in 2021. Hopefully, it'll be a good year. Hopefully, it'll be a good year at 76. Trend has not been good. But today, LPGA players play for 17% of what a PGA Tours prize money is. And in the past 20 years, the gap in prize money between men and women has actually increased. So in 2000, LPGA players were playing for 21% of the PGA purse, whereas 
And I think this was probably 2019 when I pulled these numbers. They're playing for 17%. So the number on the bottom got a lot bigger while the number on the top got a little bit smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that, I think, is the television exposure. So women's golf is almost exclusively on the golf channel. And it's rarely live on like ESPN because apparently the LPGA has a contract with the golf channel so that like it mainly stays on the golf channel. But of course, some people are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But the problem is you're never going to get somebody into golf who doesn't watch the golf channel. Exactly. You know, like who turns on the golf channel? You know, like maybe Julia. Yeah, Julia. Julia turns on the golf channel. Sophie doesn't. But if Sophie turns on ESPN and women's golf is on, she would watch it. But I don't even know if I have the golf channel. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those exclusive, you know, like you have to pay. I think you have to pay mm-hmm. extra for it. So, yeah. The other thing about golf is that the men and women's game is the exact same, aside from like the distance and the tee. Yeah, all the rules are the exact same. All the rules are the exact same. Whereas, you know, for other men and women's sports, there are differences. So if you are a fan of men's golf, there is definitely an appetite for women's golf. Mm-hmm. And then my last little bit on my vendetta, not vendetta against golf. I'm not against golf, but I just, on the second. Areas of improvement. Areas. Yes, there we go. Areas of improvement. Opportunities for growth. There is overt sexism in golf media more so than I think almost any other sport that I've seen at least. I would agree with that. Golf magazines and websites are really sexist and primarily see the women as sex objects first and athletes second. So as recently as 2017, Golf Magazine and Golf.com would put out an annual edition called The Most Beautiful Women in Golf. And you would assume that these would be people who played golf professionally. Yes, they had some LPGA players, but they also included the wives and girlfriends of PGA players, dot, dot, dot. Beauty pageant winners who were fans of golf dot, 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 and golf broadcasters, which actually golf broadcasters might be like a little bit better, but what the actual fuck? Yeah. Wives and girlfriends, beauty pageant winners, like what? You are a champion winning athlete and you are up there with somebody's dumb wife as a woman in golf. When you think about the flip side of it, like if they were to do like the hottest men in basketball and they threw up some WNBA players random husband next to LeBron people would have like what yeah (laughs) everybody would be spazzing out on the Twitter oh my god and just keeping along with this badness golf digest rarely features LPJ players and when it does they are usually scantily clad which is hilarious because golf is like one of the most conservatively dressed sports I know, but then they take like the the women who who do that sport so well, and then just like mm. sexualize them. Oh yeah, and then the last bit is that there are still golf clubs that do not allow women to become members. I like I'm totally gonna butcher this because I googled it one time when I was like at work a mm-hmm. year ago or so. But in at my old job in Boston, outside of Boston, it was in Newton. There's a country club nearby. And I always kind of, I was like trying to check out if I could play. Cause a lot, like I get when it's not open to the public. Right. There are courses like that that are not open to the public. It's really, again, hoity toity. And so I was seeing if I could play. And I was like reading news, you know, when you Google something, you click on like the news yeah. portion of it. 
And it was something like the whole golf club was under fire because like they had like the men's versus the women's locker room was like completely agree. Like the men's locker room had like a bar, a sauna, like a exercise, like a workout thing. And like the women's locker room was really just like a, a few lockers and like a shower or whatever. And there was just this whole hubbub. So that is definitely like very deeply rooted. And the mm-hmm. faster that we transform golf from 80-year-old rich white men yep. to a more just diverse field, the better. Because it'll, it'll help just dismiss those stereotypes. Crazy that there are still places where... Actually, I think one of the clubs is where I grew up. It's like Burning Tree does not allow... I mean, Augusta. I think like the Augusta Masters did not like allow women for... I don't, I don't even know if they... They might still not. I don't know. It's just ridiculous all right but despite all that there's still some current amazing women golfers this is just a very short list of a a much longer pool that i'm talking about but some of the stars include michelle Wee. so she recently did uh, a just women sports podcast so i go check it out she was born in hawaii she won the united states golf association women's amateur at a record age of 13 into oh my God. So we got Lydia Ko winning professional tournaments at 15. We got Michelle Wee winning amateur tournaments at 13 in 2003. She was the youngest to qualify for the event, and she's the youngest woman to, to win the event, which is just crazy. She, I remember her. There's so much hype. I used to get the Sports Illustrated Kids magazine, and mm-hmm. I, they had sports cards, like paper sports cards that you could whip out. And I always, like, I didn't save them all, but Michelle, like, Michelle Wee, I got every single one of those. I mean... So she Mm -hmm. has a major win and a total of five LPGA Tour wins. And I think she just recently had a baby. Don't quote me. Oh, wow. She's 30 now, and I think she had a baby. I love her. She's great. She's great on the Just Win Sports podcast. Another uh, woman to watch out for, Lydia Ko, who we mentioned earlier. She's from New Zealand. Oh, she she is 31, and she does have a baby. Boom. Man, I'm so – I can, like, remember that sort of stuff, but I can't remember, like, the important things. Um. (laughs) I mean, not saying that Michelle Wee and her baby are not important. So sorry, but like more personal to my life, important things. But yeah, so another Liddy Co. In 2015, that was just her year. She was the youngest golfer to reach world number one, male or female. Uh, she Damn. has a total of 15 LPGA Tour wins and two LPGA uh, major wins. So she's great. She's still kicking it. Definitely in B Park for like this like recent future, you know, recent past or whatever. I know MB. MB Park from South Korea. She just fucking kills that shit. Um, She's got seven major championships. So she really shows up. She's 32 years old. She has a career grand slam. So she's won each of the five majors. And then 2016, she also won the first Olympic gold medal. And it was the first time that golf was considered an Olympic sport since 1900. So it's first Olympic gold medal since 1900. Yeah. And then last but not least, I, I she's kind of like a, a personal fave of mine. I love watching Lexi Thompson. She got a very interesting swing. It kind of has like a hit. She like hesitates in the back, but mm. I really like it. She's 25. She was born in Florida. She's got 11 wins and one major win. And she was the youngest to qualify to play in the U.S. Women's Open. So a professional tournament. She was 12 years old. What? <laughs> I mean, just like oh, mind blown. Oh, my God. So she's a ton of fun to watch. I was watching this past weekend, the tour. I can't remember what tournament it was, but mm-hmm. saw my girl Lexi. And again, you know, for me, I'm just a golf fan. I love playing. I love watching the sport. 
and I get like where it can be a snoozer, but if you come to the top golf with me, I can promise you that I'll make it fun. <laughs> I just went with my sister last week, class weekend. It was so much fun. And like many other women in sports, the future is extremely bright for LPGA professionals. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. great. I love golf. Would recommend. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I am ready to start learning how to play. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like golf, there is an opportunity for underdogs to win any given weekend anybody yes, can win yes, on in golf and tennis weekend. where the two individual yeah. sports it just it's in your control for the most part like in one person's mm-hmm. control so if somebody's just on one weekend and they play four amazing yeah. rounds of golf anybody can win it's amazing from us at the history of the sports bra team we want to wish you a good night and play hard Thanks for listening. Check out our website, historyofthesportsbra.com, for episode extras and more content on the wonderful world of women's sports.